Chapter Four, Part Two of Miss Map. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Miss Map by E. F. Benson. Chapter Four, Part Two. Diva had been watching Janet's retreating figure and feeling that though revenge was sweet, revenge was also strangely expensive. For she had sacrificed one of the most strikingly successful frocks she had ever made on that smoking altar. Now her revenge was gratified, and deeply she regretted the frock. Miss Mapp's heart was similarly wrung by torture. Revenge, too, had been hers general revenge on Diva for existing. But this dreadful counterstroke had made it quite impossible for her to enjoy the use of this frock any more. For she could not habit herself like a housemaid. Each, in fact, had, as matters at present stood, completely wrecked the other, like two express trains meeting in top speed collision, and since the quarrel had clearly risen to its utmost height, there was no further joy of battle to be anticipated, but only the melancholy task of counting the corpses. So they paused, breathing very quickly and trembling, while both sought for some way out. Besides, Miss Mapp had a bridge party this afternoon, and if they parted now in this extreme state of tension, Diva might conceivably not come, thereby robbing herself of her bridge and spoiling her hostess's table. Naturally, any permanent quarrel was not contemplated by either of them, for if quarrels were permanent in Tilling, nobody would be on speaking terms any more with anyone else in a day or two, and, hardly less disastrous, there could be no fresh quarrels with anybody. Since you could not quarrel without words, there might be songs without words, as Mendelssohn had proved, but not rows without words. By what formula could this deadly antagonism be bridged without delay? Diva gazed out over the marsh. She wanted desperately to regain her rosebud frock, and she knew that Elizabeth was starving for further wearing of her poppies. Perhaps the wide, serene plain below inspired her. With a hatred of littleness. There would be no loss of dignity in making a proposal that her enemy, she felt sure, would accept. It merely showed a Christian spirit, and set an example to Elizabeth to make the first move. Janet, she did not consider. If you are in a fit state to listen to reason, Elizabeth, she began. Miss Mapp heaved a sigh of relief. Diva had thought of something. She swallowed the insult at a gulp. Yes, dear, she said. Got an idea. Take away Janet's frock and wear it myself. Then you can wear yours. Too pretty for parlor maids, eh? A heavenly brightness spread over Miss Mapp's face. Oh, how wonderful of you to have thought of that, Diva, she said. But how shall we explain it all to everybody? Diva clung to her rights. Though clearly Christian, she was human. Say I thought of tacking chintz on and told you, she said. Yes, darling, said Elizabeth. That's beautiful, I agree. But poor Janet. I'll give her some other old thing, said Diva. Good sort, Janet. Wants me to win. And about her having been seen wearing it. Say she hasn't ever worn it. Say they're mad, said Diva. Miss Mapp felt it better to tear herself away before she began distilling all sorts of acidities that welled up in her fruitful mind. 
she could, for instance, easily have agreed that nothing was more probable than that Janet had been mistaken for her mistress. "'Au reservoir, then, dear,' she said tenderly. "'See you at about four, and will you wear your pretty rosebud frock?' This was agreed to, and Diva went home to take it away from Janet. The reconciliation, of course, was strictly confined to matters relating to chintz, and did not include such extraneous subjects as coal-strike or food-hoarding, and even in the first glowing moments of restored friendliness, Diva began wondering whether she would have the opportunity that afternoon of testing the truth of her conjecture about the cupboard in the garden-room. Cudgel her brains as she might, she could think of no other cash that could contain the immense amount of provisions that Elizabeth had probably accumulated, and she was all on fire to get to practical grips with the problem. As far as tins of corned beef and tongues went, Elizabeth might possibly have buried them in her garden in the manner of a dog, but it was not likely that a hoarder would limit herself to things in tins. No, there was a cupboard somewhere ready to burst with strong supporting foods. Diva intentionally arrived a full quarter of an hour on the hither side of punctuality, and was taken by Withers out into the garden-room, where tea was laid, and two card-tables were in readiness. She was, of course, the first of the guests, and the moment Withers withdrew to tell her mistress that she had come, Diva stealthily glided to the cupboard, from in front of which the bridge-table had been removed, feeling the shrill joy of some romantic treasure-hunter. She found the catch, she pressed it, she pulled open the door, and the whole of the damning profusion of provisions burst upon her delighted eyes. Shelf after shelf was crowded with eatables. There were tins of corned beef and tongues. That she knew already. There was a sack of flour, there were tubes of bath-oliver biscuits, bottles of bovril, the yield of a thousand condensed Swiss cows, jars of prunes. All these were in the front row, flush with the door, and who knew to what depth the cupboard extended? Even as she feasted her eyes on this incredible store, some package on the top shelf wavered and toppled, and she had only just time to shut the door again, in order to prevent it falling out onto the floor. But this displacement prevented the door from wholly closing, and push and shove as Diva might, she could not get the catch to click home, and the only result of her energy and efforts was to give rise to a muffled explosion from within, just precisely as if something made of cardboard had burst. That mental image was so vivid that to her fevered imagination it seemed to be real. This was followed by certain faint taps from within, against elegant extracts and astronomy. Diva grew very red in the face, and said, "'Drat it!' under her breath. She did not dare open the door again in order to push things back, for fear of an uncontrollable stream of things pouring out. Some nicely balanced equilibrium had clearly been upset in those capacious shelves, and it was impossible to tell without looking how deep and how extensive the disturbance was, and in order to look she had to open the bookcase again. Luckily the pressure against the door was not sufficiently heavy to cause it to swing wide, so the best she could do was to leave it, just ajar with temporary quiescence inside. Simultaneously she heard Miss Mapp's step, and had no more than time to trundle at the utmost speed of her whirling feet across to the window, where she stood looking out, 
and appeared quite unconscious of her hostess's entry. "'Diva, darling, how sweet of you to come so early,' she said. "'A little cosy chat before the others arrive.' Diva turned round, much startled. "'Hello,' she said. "'Didn't hear you. Got Janet's frock, you see.' "'What makes Diva's face so red?' thought Miss Mapp. "'So I see, darling,' she said. "'Lovely rose garden. How well it suits you, dear. Did Janet mind?' "'No. Promised her a new frock at Christmas.' "'That will be nice for Janet,' said Elizabeth enthusiastically. "'Shall we pop into the garden, dear, till my guests come?' Diva was glad to pop into the garden and get away from the immediate vicinity of the cupboard, for though she had planned and looked forward to the exposure of Elizabeth's hoarding, she had not meant it to come, as it now probably would, in crashes of tins and bursting of bovril bottles. Again she had intended to have opened that door quite casually and innocently while she was being dummy, so that everyone could see how accidental the exposure was, and to have gone poking about the cupboard in Elizabeth's absence was a shade too professional, so to speak, for the usual detective work of tilling. But the fuse was set now. Sooner or later the explosion must come. She wondered as they went out to commune with Elizabeth's sweet flowers till the other guests arrived, how great a torrent would be let loose. She did not repent her exploration, far from it, but her pleasurable anticipations were strongly diluted with suspense. Miss Mapp had found such difficulty in getting eight players together to-day that she had transgressed her principles and asked Mrs. Poppet as well as Isabel, and they, with Diva, the two Bartlets, and the Major and the Captain, formed the party. The moment Mrs. Poppet appeared, Elizabeth hated her more than ever, for she put up her glasses and began to give her patronizing advice about her garden, which she had not been allowed to see before. "'You have quite a pretty little piece of garden, Miss Mapp,' she said, "'though, to be sure, I fancied from what you said that it was more extensive. "'Dear me, your roses do not seem to be doing very well. "'Probably they are old plants and want renewing. "'You must send your gardener round. "'You keep a gardener? "'And I will let you have a dozen vigorous young bushes.' "'Miss Mapp licked her dry lips. "'She kept a kind of gardener two days a week.' "'Too good of you,' she said. "'But that rose-bed is quite sacred, dear Mrs. Poppet. "'Not all the vigorous young bushes in the world would tempt me. "'It's my friendship's border. "'Some dear friend gave me each of my rose-trees.' "'Mrs. Poppet transferred her gaze to the wisteria "'that grew over the steps up to the garden-room. "'Some of the dear friends, she thought, must be centenarians.' "'Your wisteria wants pruning sadly,' she said. "'Your gardener does not understand wisterias. "'That corner there was made, I may say, for fuchsias. "'You should get a dozen choice fuchsias.' "'Miss Mapp laughed. "'Oh, you must excuse me,' she said, "'with a glance at Mrs. Poppet's brocaded silk. "'I can't bear fuchsias. "'They always remind me of overdressed women. "'Ah, there's Mr. Bartlett. "'How to do, Padre, and dear Evie.' "'Dear Evie appeared fascinated by Diva's dress.' "'Such beautiful rosebuds,' she murmured. "'And what a lovely shade of purple! "'And Elizabeth's puppies, too, quite a pair of you. "'But surely this morning, Diva, "'didn't I see your good Janet in just such another dress? "'And I thought at the time how odd it was that—' "'If you saw Janet this morning,' said Diva, quite firmly, 
you saw her in her print dress. "'And here's Major Benji,' said Miss Mapp, who had made her slip about his Christian name yesterday, and had been duly entreated to continue slipping. "'And Captain Puffin, well, that is nice. Shall we go into my little garden-shed, dear Mrs. Poppet, and have our tea?' Major Flint was still a little lame, for his golf to-day had been of the nature of gardening, and he hobbled up the steps behind the ladies, with that little cock-sparrow sailor following him, and telling the padre how badly and yet how successfully he himself had played. "'Pleasantest room in Tilling, I always say, Miss Elizabeth,' said he, diverting his mind from a mere game to the fairies. "'My dear little room,' said Miss Mapp, knowing that it was much larger than anything in Mrs. Poppet's house. So tiny! "'Oh, not a bad-sized little room,' said Mrs. Poppet encouragingly. "'Much the same proportions on a very small scale as the throne-room at Buckingham Palace.' "'That beautiful throne-room!' exclaimed Miss Mapp. "'A cup of tea, dear Mrs. Poppet. None of that naughty red-currant fool, I am afraid. And a little chocolate cake?' These substantial chocolate cakes soon did their fell work of producing the sense of surfeit, and presently Elizabeth's guests dropped off gorged from the tea-table. Diva fortunately remembered their consistency in time, and nearly cleared a plate of jumbles instead, which the hostess had hoped would form a pleasant accompaniment to her dessert at her supper this evening, and was still crashingly engaged on them when the general drifting movement towards the two bridge-tables set in. Mrs. Poppet, with her glasses up, followed by Isabel, was employed in making a tour of the room, in case, as Miss Mapp had already determined, she never saw it again, examining the quality of the carpet, the curtains, the chair-backs, with the air of a doubtful purchaser. "'And quite a quantity of books, I see,' she announced as she came opposite the fatal cupboard. "'Look, Isabel, what a quantity of books! There is something strange about them, though.' I do not believe they are real. She put out her hand, and pulled at the back of one of the volumes of elegant extracts. The door swung open, and from behind it came a noise of rattling, bumping, and clattering. Something soft and heavy thumped on to the floor, and a cloud of flowery dust arose. A bottle of Bovril embedded itself quietly there without damage, and a tin of Bath Oliver biscuits beat a fierce tattoo on one of corned beef. Innumerable dried apricots from the burst package flew about like shrapnel, and tapped at the tins. A jar of prunes, breaking its fall on the flower, rolled merrily out into the middle of the floor. The din was succeeded by complete silence. The padre had said, "'What ho, effegs!' during the tumult, but his voice had been drowned by the rattling of the dried apricots." The member of the Order of the British Empire stepped free of the provisions that bumped round her, and examined them through her glasses. Diva crammed the last jumble into her mouth, and disposed of it with the utmost rapidity. The birthday of her life had come, as Miss Rossetti said. "'Dear Elizabeth!' she exclaimed. "'What a disaster! All your little stores in case of the coal strike! Let me help to pick them up!' I do not think anything is broken. Isn't that lucky?" Evie hurried to the spot. "'Such a quantity of good things,' she said rapidly, under her breath. 
tinned meats and bovril and prunes and ever so many apricots let me pick them all up and with a little dusting why what a big cupboard and such a quantity of good things miss mapp had certainly struck a streak of embarrassments what with naked mr hopkins and janet's frock and this unveiling of her hoard life seemed at the moment really to consist of nothing else than beastly situations how on earth that catch of the door had come undone she had no idea but much as she would have liked to suspect foul play from somebody she was bound to conclude that mrs poppet with her prying hands had accidentally pressed it it was like diva of course to break the silence with odious allusions to hoarding and bitterly she wished that she had not started the topic the other day but had been content to lay in her stores without so pointedly affirming that she was doing nothing of the kind but this was no time for vain laments and restraining a natural impulse to scratch and beat mrs poppet she exhibited an admirable inventiveness and composure though she knew it would deceive nobody everybody had to pretend he was deceived oh my poor little christmas presents for your needy parishioners padre she said you've seen them before you were meant to and you must forget all about them and so little harm done just an apricot or two withers will pick them all up so let us get to our bridge withers entered the room at this moment to clear away tea and miss mapp explained it all over again all our little christmas presents have come tumbling out withers she said will you put as many as you can back in the cupboard and take the rest indoors don't tread on the apricots it was difficult to avoid doing this as the apricots were everywhere and their colour on the brown carpet was wonderfully protective miss mapp herself had already stepped on too and their adhesive stickiness was hard to get rid of in fact for the next few minutes the coal-shovel was in strong request for their removal from the soles of shoes and the fender was littered with their squashed remains the party generally was distinctly thoughtful as it sorted itself out into two tables for every single member of it was trying to assimilate the amazing proposition that miss mapp had halfway through september loaded her cupboard with christmas presents on a scale that staggered belief the feat required thought it required a faith so childlike as to verge on the imbecile conversation during deals had an awkward tendency towards discussion of the coal strike as often as it drifted there the subject was changed very abruptly just as if there was some occult reason for not speaking of so natural a topic it concerned everybody but it was rightly felt to concern miss mapp the most end of chapter 4 read by kara schallenberg www.kray.org on October 13, 2008, in San Diego, California.